All right, this is an oral history interview with Senator Don Nichols uh, for the Robert J. Dole Institute of Politics at the University of Kansas. Uh, we're in the offices of the Nichols Group, government consulting in Washington, D.C. Uh, today is Tuesday, March 27, 2007, and I'm historian Brian Williams. Let me ask you first, uh, Senator, uh, when you first met uh, Senator Dole. Bob Dole came into Oklahoma when I was campaigning I knew of him for years, but the first time I had known him personally or that we interacted, he came in and campaigned for me when I was a candidate for U.S. Senate uh, in the, probably the latter part of 1980. And uh, he didn't know who I was except for he knew, hmm, I heard this young guy has a chance, and and, uh, and he helped me in that race, and, and uh, I did win. And at that point, he was probably the biggest star we'd had in the state, biggest political celebrity. Uh, Ronald Reagan was running, but he never came into Oklahoma. Uh, Bob Dole did, and he was well-liked, very popular in the state, and still is. Um, uh, When he ran for president back in 90, I said, you don't have to campaign in Oklahoma because you're going to win it, and he did, I think, I'm sure. Uh, But I campaigned with him, and, and needless to say, he's very popular in the state. Now, of course, you were aware of him before he came and visited you that first time. So let me ask you, how did your initial impression of him compare with actually meeting, meeting him in person? Well, he's always a very impressive person. Uh, uh, always dressed well, always spoke well, always had a great sense of humor. And uh, it, he has a good reputation for that, but it, it exceeded that. I mean, he's very bright, very articulate, very funny, um, has a dry... Kansas wit that uh, is, uh, needless to say, it just goes well. It, 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 he wears it well. He wears the office of, of senator well. Um, um, everybody always enjoyed not only getting to know Bob Dole, but but uh, just kind of appreciated where he was coming from. Everybody knew he was from Russell, Kansas. I mean, you can't say that about out of the hundred senators and. I guess I, we both served, he served with, well, I did too. I served 24 years in the Senate, hundreds of senators, but everybody knew he was from Russell, Kansas, because you could tell he was proud of it. And uh, his, um, he had a good bearing a, a, as a senator you know, that really kind of commanded respect. If you knew where he was coming from, you knew that he was wounded in the war. And I had the privilege of, of being with him um, we visited the site where he was wounded in northern Italy, and um, I don't know, hundreds of the town's people came out, and we saw, actually, he kind of pointed, and it was a very emotional time. He pointed, you know, he was wounded down in the valley and in the kind of a mountainous area in, in Italy. It was a very um, memorable event. They, they loved him. He could have been elected mayor for life, this little town. We had a meal that was second to none, big celebrations uh, of the local people because they realized here was this young, strapping, thin soldier that, uh, I guess, I'm not sure what year that was, um, but he was wounded, 44, whenever whenever it was, and and, uh, almost lost his life down in those hills, and then he grew up to be, in my opinion, the most uh, influential legislator and, and most powerful senator uh, of our time and, and uh, presidential candidate and so on. So 
they were very proud, you know, to have uh, have somebody come back and, and visit. It was a, it was one of the highlights of my uh, uh, of all the trips that we'd made th that particular visit. Um, what prompted that trip? Uh, was it was not his first visit back to Italy at this site. I think it was the first time he had visited that site. Um, I, I believe it was. There was that was a remarkable trip, and I have to stretch to see what year that was. We, I believe, I don't. Know, I've went on two or three different trips with him, and I'm my years are running together. I probably have to do some homework to try and figure. But that that may have been. We went to uh, Kuwait and Iraq right after the '91 war, like a day or two afterwards. Uh, we actually flew into Iraq, and and there was a, and when the Iraqi troops were fleeing north, uh, you might remember that when our military, when the ground forces moved in, Iraq basically collapsed, and, and there was kind of a several mile stretch where, where they just abandoned their vehicles and so on. We still saw some of those vehicles smoking. I mean, so we were there shortly after, a couple of days after the uh, war effort. And I think we went to Italy shortly after that, so that would have been in 91. But I'm, I'm not positive, and it may have been a different trip. Different trip, though, and one of, of great memory, I believe it's a different trip, we went into uh, Kosovo, and um, we met with, uh, well, we went into Serbia, we went into Yugoslavia, but into Serbia, went in, we met with Milosevic, the, they were very repressive to the Kosovars, or the people who lived in Kosovo, and uh, there was a dramatic, tense showdown between Bob Dole and, and Milosevic. Because Bob Dole said we want to fly into Kosovo, and uh, into I believe the capital of Kosovo is Pristina, and uh, Milosevic said no, and Bob Dole said well we're going to go, and we went, and it, but it, there was a just like two or three hour standoff where Dole was telling the president of Yugoslavia we're going to fly into another at that time uh, division of, of Yugoslavia and Milosevic who was a tyrant said no and Bob Dole said we're going to go and we went and uh, the ultimate compromise Bob Dole was always a legislator and, he, and a compromiser and, and the solution was we allowed some Yugoslavians to fly on our airplane and then when we landed we were escorted by Milosevic's forces or the police and they tried to escort us around the crowds because the crowds, the people in Kosovo heard that we were coming. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people in Kosovo were lining the streets and so they tried to go around them. So we couldn't see all the people because um, they'd been so suppressed they destroyed their uh, newspapers and just the, the you could tell there's a war just about to break out and or fighting the, the intense conflicts between the, the factions there and and um, but we did go in we did meet with groups on both sides there were the thousands of people that 
came to greet us at the airport or lined the way on the airport was a bypass came downtown, so there were still thousands of people there. Police used some force against them. I think there was a person or two that were was injured pretty significantly. And uh, but anyway, a very uh, remarkable event. Later that year, I, at that time, I was on the Appropriations Committee, and I <coughs> did a lot of legislating and, and helped with Bob Doe. We passed legislation that denied access to any country who denied political freedom within it, and uh, uh, it was opposed by the State Department. And we had a conference. I was on the Appropriations Committee, and it was basically an amendment that Bob Doe and I put together. And uh, I remember we, we wrestled with that amendment for hours until like, it was the longest, latest, tense battle. Dave Obey was the chairman of, of the uh, House uh, Foreign Relations Subcommittee. And anyway, we had a very tense, long discussion. We eventually passed our amendment over the objections of the State Department, over the objections of, of the House. We were able to get it through. But, uh, and, and I think we were way ahead of the time. And of course, you know, many years later, the, the whole situation kind of erupted in Yugoslavia. But Bob Dole really showed that he was a leader at that point. And the people in Kosovo and so on have so much respect for him because he was maybe the first person who really stood up to him on an international basis with stature. And um, uh, I was impressed. I'm still impressed when I think about that. Um, so uh, what was it like traveling with Bob Dole? Well, it was really hard work. He, uh, he drove the, I'd used to say, you're driving this cattle train pretty hard. And he would drive it hard. We, in that particular trip, we visited several countries. It was really in the th time period when many Eastern European countries were, were breaking the chains of, of communism. Uh, we went to Czechoslovakia shortly after uh, uh, Havel was, was uh, uh, I don't even say if he was elected president, but basically overthrown the, the uh, communist. And uh, we went out to his villa, his house, outside of Prague, I believe, and on a Sunday, and we had a little caravan, and, and we went out to his house, and we pull up his house and he had blaring just really loud on speakers outside. I want to say it was some song like Bruce Springsteen's uh, or Proud to be an American or, or it was a pro-U.S. song. Um, who was that? Maybe it's Lee Greenwood's song um, Proud to be an American. I, I think that was it. I'm not sure who, but it was a pro-U.S.A. song. Just had a blaring, and we went in and, and met with uh, President Havel, and uh, I'm not sure if he was elected president yet or not. But anyway, they just taken control, just got control. He pointed to a, a village or a, another farmhouse that was maybe a quarter mile from the road, and he said that's where the the, the basically the Soviet, I shouldn't say the Soviet, the communist police where they were stationed. They always monitored him. And now he had his security guard there, but he did have the, you know, the communists who followed him around and monitored his phone conversations, tried to eavesdrop on whoever he was meeting with and so on. And it was a big change of events. He said, just a couple of days ago, I put my security in that 
the building. And, and uh, so we met with him on that trip. We went into um, uh, several other eastern uh, countries that were in the process of, of changing. And, and uh, um, we went into uh, Romania where um, he was a president tyrant at that time. Um, I'll think of it in a second. And, and he was one of the communist leaders who was still hanging on. We met with the dissident people. They did not want us to meet with, with, the, uh, with the opposition groups. And a month or two later, he and his wife were taken out and executed by the mob. By, not by the mob, by people who had been subjugated and lost their freedom for years and years and um, basically over, overthrew them and, and liberated uh, uh, Romania. And so we were there at that time. And when we met with him, we were saying, hey, you've got to let people have some freedom. You've got to. And we met with the people who wanted to have um, uh, freedom of the press and, and radio and, and there was so many of them and the government kept trying to suppress them and here we were meeting with them so we were giving them some real hope that hey uh, Romania like Czechoslovakia like Hungary uh, can be free and uh, sure enough the, the people did it and, and uh, we also saw some of the travesty you know we saw a bunch of kids that were babies that had AIDS and basically were abandoned in some very despicable conditions or the treatments just left a lot to be desired and then we'd see this opulent palace that, that uh, Ceausescu was uh, building for, for himself and uh, anyway so see Ceausescu and his wife they fall and then Romania is liberated and we met with him and it, it, it was this wasn't oh we wish you well we, we were on the side of the people seeking freedom and we let him know it and, and Again, Bob Dole had the stature to, one, have the meeting. A lot of members might try and go and say, hey, we want to meet with you and tell you we don't think you're doing a good job. They wouldn't get the meeting. Bob Dole got the meeting and uh, had a group of senators with us. And he drove the train hard. I mean, I remember people saying, my gosh, we're in that country every day and so on. But it was an exciting time to, and to think that, you know, he was in the 40s fighting to liberate Europe and then a lot of it fell under the Iron Curtain. And then to see, oh, here we are in, in the 90s, and it's, it is liberated, finally. Uh, it was really exciting. I mean, big history. People have to step back and, and look. Wow, what happened? What, you know, we were in East Germany. We, we saw these changes, and, and to some extent, people like Bob Dole and others that, Help contribute greatly to that, you know, giving the, the people who are desiring freedom some chance, some hope. Oh, we've got the leader of the Senate coming in, United States, and people look at in various parts of the world, many parts of the world, but look at the United States Senate as, as the embodiment of, of democracy and freedom. Here's the leaders coming over to talk to me, and we want freedom here. They don't know. In some cases, don't even know what to do with it. You know, it's it's more an aspiration. It's a, it's an uh, it's a feeling inside their heart that they know they've been oppressed and they want freedom. They don't know what's next. And here they have one of the leaders of the free world that's uh, 
knocking on their door saying, we support you, that's pretty strong, pretty strong and very timely. These were bipartisan. I'm just going to move this key here for a second. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember who all was on the trip because um, we had a handful of senators. I, I, I can remember two or three of our colleagues, but I'm not sure I can remember right, all of right. them. What about, uh, I guess what I'm sort of groping here for is a little bit of something that I don't read very much about, and that is Bob Dole on an off moment or between meetings or just casually sitting beside him in a plane or something. Can you sort of characterize what that experience is like? I've been with him in many meetings, and uh, for a lot of whatever reason, he was he befriended me and uh, kind of took me under. He was one of my real mentors. Um, he was a very effective legislator, and I decided early on if I'm going to be here, I want to be effective. I want to get things done. He was, in my opinion, probably the most effective legislator of of our time, and I kind of wanted to. How do we get this done? And he always maintained decent relationships with political adversaries. You know, and they always respected him, so he never trashed them. Or, or you know, uh, he'd always, hey, we try and get somebody's vote this time. We can't get it today. We'll get it tomorrow. You know, he was he was a consummate uh, legislator, not not politician, because he, he was willing to do what was right. Politician usually implies they're not willing to do what's right. You know, hey, whatever will work. He wanted to make the place work and, um, uh, and get things accomplished. And we got a whole heck of a lot of things accomplished, and a lot of it probably wouldn't have happened if he hadn't been in the Senate. Uh, Ronald Reagan was very fortunate to be president at a time where he had Bob Dole, Howard Baker uh, in the Senate. Howard Baker was leader. Dole was was uh, chairman of the finance committee. If you look back at some of the changes and things that happened uh, when Ronald Reagan was elected, the maximum tax rate was seventy percent. Eight years later, it was twenty-eight percent. Bob Dole was chairman of the finance committee that entire time. That's a remarkable change. Uh, I spent a lot of years on the finance committee, but to think of the maximum rate going from seventy to twenty-eight in an eight-year period of time. And Ronald Reagan never had control of the House, so it really had to be carried through the Senate and then strong enough for the House. And the House has to initiate all tax measures, but a whole lot of that happened because of uh, the leadership that we had with Bob Dole, Howard Baker, uh, and their ability to work with Democrats to get some things done. We had some Democrat help in both the House and the Senate uh, to make monumental changes in tax policy. Today, the maximum tax rate is 35 percent. So, you know, we're largely still intact. Went up a little bit under Bill Clinton. We're not a, went from 31 percent to 39.6 under President Clinton. And President Bush and um, W was able to get it down to 35 percent. But we're still in the realm. You see, we went from 70 to 28 percent. A lot of that happened. When, well, it, all of that happened. That 70 to 28 when Bob Dole was chairman of the Finance Committee. And just on that point, uh, someone 50 years from now is going to say, how could that happen? There must have been enormous uh, economic consequences with that kind of a reduction in tax revenue. It was a great thing to do. I mean, you know, if the government's taking over half your income, you, you, you work more for the government than you work for yourself, you really lose freedom. And we found that wasn't happening just to the millionaires, it's happened to a whole lot of other people because you pay your personal income tax and you pay your 
your Social Security tax, it doesn't take too long, you're getting pretty close to 50%, particularly if you're self-employed. And um, uh, Ronald Reagan deserves the yeoman's credit because it's his belief, but he needed people to get it, to make it happen. And Bob Dole was a legislator, he took effective legislator to make that happen. Uh, I've led the fight in the 03 tax bill, and, and we fought and we won, and it was a tie vote, and vice president breaks the tie, and that's the one that set the cap gains and corporate dividend rates 15 percent, and I'm very proud of it, but I still look at that accomplishment of 70 to 28, and I'm thinking, wow, you know, that is truly remarkable. We also, in that same tax bill, we, we um, moved the rate back to 35 percent. At that time, it was still 38.6. We moved to 35 had to just fight and claw, work, legislate, cajole, do everything we could. So I got the maximum rate effective in 03 from 38.6 to uh, 35. Still, I look at hell, well, they went from 70% to 28% in eight years. Remarkable. But that's what I mean about being an effective legislator. He, he was and, and always had maintained good relations, whether it be George Mitchell or Bob Byrd, whoever was the Democrat leader. Um, when Bob was leader. Um, so I, I have fond memories of him both when he was chairman of the Finance Committee, which is a great committee, the best committee in the Senate in my opinion, and, and also as leader. And when he was leader, I was fortunate enough most of the time, I think, to be in leadership. So I, we had lots of meetings. You, you mentioned what parts of him. We spent lots and lots of time trying to figure out how we get things done because he wanted to get things done, not just, um, uh, you know, not just for a news cycle. It's also, he's very generous and, and very generous to me. I mean, he, I started doing Sunday news shows. Somebody said, why'd you do that? Well, Bob Dole was invited to do three of them every week and he would, Don, why don't you take this one? And he was very generous to me. He was on the finance committee. I was a new member of the finance committee. Why don't you, um, why don't you attend this conference? And, uh, help me, I can't make it. And so I would go into a conference when we're doing some of these tax bills kind of early and because uh, usually you just had the senior member or senior one or two members and he'd ask me to participate that way. And I was always grateful for that because you learn a lot in that process. So he was really a quite a mentor and, and quite an effective legislator and he was willing to do meetings and but he was also, he could be very forceful and we had some people that didn't want to do something, and you know he 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 was a person of, of um, effective persuasion. You know he could let you know, hey, I really need your vote now, and and convince people to vote in ways they really didn't want to, because we had to pass a bill, we had to complete, we had to get our work done. Um, I don't know. It just made it a pleasure serving the Senate. It, I look back in my 24 years, and those were some of the better days. Wasn't this partisan? Wasn't as partisan in part maybe because of the leadership. You know, um, Bob commanded respect. If you went to Danny Inouye or if you went to Bob Byrd or if you went to some of the um, Democrat leaders, George Mitchell, uh, you would hear nothing but positive praise about Bob Dole and his leadership in the Senate. Never broke his word. You know, if he said we're going to do something, we're going to do something. And, uh, and people respect that. You're only as good as your word around this place anyway, but um, he commanded that respect because he gave his word and he kept it, and, and uh, both within the Republican caucus but also on the floor of the Senate. 
Did you ever see him truly exasperated or really low about some legislative matter? Or? Yes. You know, we had some real challenges um, back in 95. Um, you had Republicans take control of the, of the House for the first time in the 94 elections. Uh, Newt Gingrich was the new Speaker of the House and very powerful. Received great accolades for planning the recapturing the house, and there was disagreements over funding. And do we, you know, we had dif disagreements with the Clinton administration. We were trying to force a balanced budget on the Clinton administration. They didn't want to do it. We were trying to force it on him. He wouldn't sign it, and we shut down the government. Hey, okay, well, we're not going to fund the government. Do we fund the government? And I, I think there was that was a tense time, uh, challenging time. Bob Dole's greatly responsible for getting the government back to work. And we did have a government shutdown at, for a period. We didn't fund government for a while. And uh, most visible, you'd say, oh, well, the Department of Interior is going to close the Washington Monument, you know, to do some of those things. But there was, um, there was, uh, that was a very challenging time. But we, we did go back, get the government back. And in large part, I think, because of Bob Dole. And there was some tension between Bob Dole and, and the Speaker at that time. But uh, uh, he kind of says, you know, we need to fund, need to get the government operating. Interesting, in 95, as a result of that, it's the only year, if you go back, I used to be budget chairman, if you looked at government spending, you see government spending pretty much a track record climbing every year until 95. It actually went down in 95, partly because of the shutdown, partly because of all of it. And because Republicans took control the first time and said, hey, we're not going to spend more money, and we cut a lot of things and so on. But, uh, no, I was with him then. I was with him uh, uh, during the campaign when he ran for president. Uh, he talked to me about being his vice presidential running mate, so I was very close to him. And uh, I was with him a little bit in San Diego when he was nominated in 1990 and campaigned with him after that. He was a tireless campaigner. Um, I remember he concluded the campaign by going all night for like 24 hours a day for two or three days in a row. And at that particular point in time, he was behind. And most people saying, you know, the polls are indicating he can't win. He went, he, he showed more energy and effort. I mean, he went around the clock. I can't remember how many hours it was. It's in the books. But he went for like two or three days without going to bed. You know, he was going and hitting and uh, just campaigning. And very interesting, we really, we, Bob, came up a lot in that last two or three days. Uh, I sure wish he would have pulled it off. The country would have been a lot better off if he'd been president. He, that would have been, I, I wish he could have pulled it off. Had the man from Russell, Kansas, being in the White House with him. A dream come true and answer to prayer, and he would have been a fantastic president. And how would he have steered the country? And, and, and this is sort of there's a larger question in my mind here, which which is sort of real opposing forces at work during your period of time in the in the Senate. I mean, two very different views of the world. So, how would he have been able to really make enormous changes? Do you think? Oh, I think so. I think. And he where would, would they have occurred? Where, well, it's 
kind of interesting. Let's see, when what year? He ran in '90. I remember when it was 1990. And um, uh, let me step back. Where were we? Okay, that was concluding. Um, you say he ran for president. For president in. Wasn't that 90? No, it was 96 that he... 96. I was going to say, I'm getting right. confused. It's 1990. The 96 was the convention in... Uh, San Diego. San Diego. And I said 1990, and I thought, this is not... Right. No, no, Bill Clinton had already finished one term. Is that right? No, George the first. Did. George first finished in the his term, right? And well, wait a minute. And then he lost. He ran for re-election. Bill Clinton. Right. One in '92, and then Bob ran against Bill Clinton in '96. Right. Um, things would have been quite different had he been elected. Uh, one, Bill Clinton was elected in in '92. Republicans took control of House and Senate in '94, the first time in in many decades we actually had control of both houses. So that was monumental shift. Bob Dole would have been elected president in 96. We would have had control of the House and the Senate and the White House. Uh, that would have been phenomenal. I said an answer to prayer would have been great. We shut down government to balance the budget in 95. We would have balanced the budget much sooner. We would have been much more frugal. We ended up spending a lot of money, and, and, uh, and the deficit came down in Clinton's last years, and he tries to pat himself on the back, but a large part of that was because of the tax bill we passed in 97. He President Clinton vetoed the bill we passed in 95. He signed the bill uh, we passed in 97. That's the one that reduced capital gains rates from 28 to 20 percent, did a lot of other things to really try and encourage the economy to grow. It worked fabulously. It wasn't because of President Clinton. He eventually signed the bill, but we passed the same bill in 95, similar bill in 95. He vetoed it. We passed it in 97, and he signed it. And, uh, and it really did help, and it led to an economic explosion. Plus, you had the, the uh, uh, Internet and the dot-coms, and, and so you had all the high-tech thing happening. At the same time, we reduced capital gains from 28 to 20 percent, so you had entrepreneurs coming out of the woodwork saying, let's invest in all these companies. They're all growing like gangbusters. You had stock market values going skyrocket. You had NASDAQ, most people have never heard of, just went all the way up to 5,000. Irrational exuberance, Alan Greenspan said, but it was enormous wealth created in that period of time, and I think in large part because of we had Republicans in control, and we passed lower tax brackets for, for capital gains transactions. All that happened. Uh, well, that happened in 97. Bob re re retired from the Senate in 96, so he could run full-time for president. Right. Um, uh, but if he'd been president, we would have had Republican control of House and Senate. We wouldn't have had this acrimony. You wouldn't have had the impeachment. You would have had a person who knows Congress as president better than anybody since LBJ. He would have been probably the most effective, powerful president because of his ability to get things through Congress. LBJ had the Democrat control of House and Senate and the White House and a very complicit con Senate because he used to be head of the Senate. Bob Dole being head of the Senate would have had a very cooperative Senate, could have got a lot of stuff done, whether it be in tax policy. We passed a very good tax bill in 97. It could have been much better. I say much better. It could have been better. And 
pro-growth and so on, and uh, uh, and I think in foreign policy, uh, he had enormous credibility. I don't think, you know, Bill. Well, let me let me just take this a little bit further. Bill Clinton's idea of, you know, remember his campaign motto was the economy, stupid. Didn't really want to talk about foreign policy and involvement. I think under President Clinton, we lost a great deal of stature uh, worldwide. I think Bob Dole commanded that stature and respect. And I think we lost respect uh, worldwide, too, with the Clinton scandals and so on. Bob Dole didn't have a scandal associated with him. I think of all the decades of public service, he didn't have scandals. And um, so I, I think the prestige of the United States would have stayed very high. I think if you would have had uh, bin Laden, if they would have attacked uh, U.S. embassies in Africa, I think there would have been a much more significant response. Uh, if you had the USS Cole attacked, which happened in the year 2000, the embassies, I think, were in 98. Um, I think that those would have happened on President Dole's watch. I think. Um, Bin Laden would have been toast. Um, uh, it would have been a much more forceful response. Bill Clinton was, was President Clinton was mired in, in impeachment and all this and really didn't, I don't think, had its focus or attention on, on uh, really getting after Bin Laden. And, uh, and I think Bob Dole would have had a much more aggressive response and, and maybe we would have been able to stop him. Now, there might be some successor terrorists that would have still been conducting enterprises, but if you look at the attacks that the terrorists did, they had the 93 World Trade Center bombing, they had the 98 two embassy bombings in, in Africa, you had um, uh, towers blown up in Saudi Arabia, and then you had USS Cole. Those were all in uh, the, the Saudi Arabia, the, the two embassies, I think, were in 98, and uh, the USS Cole, I believe, was in 2000. Those were all in, in Bill Clinton's term. That would have been in Bob Dole's first term. I think the response would have been so significant that we might not have seen 9-11. Uh, you know, we had a chance when bin Laden was in, in uh, uh, Afghanistan to get him, and uh, we lobbed a few cruise missiles and stopped. That was in 98, and we never did any real subsequent action against him after 98. Um, I don't think that would have been the case with Bob Dole. He didn't loathe the military. And I, 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 there's just, it would have been a different, I think it would have been a better world. Uh, of course, that would have happened. Looking forward from here, um, how do you see America going in terms of the sort of Republican vision versus the Democratic vision, because we're still, that's still very much being fought out in Congress. And where would Dole's legacy fit into that, do you imagine? Well, he has a legacy of, of being able to get things done and working in a more bipartisan way. It's a lot more partisan now than it should be. Uh, his legacy would be to help restore, make the Senate the great institution that it really is. I think we've had a bunch of House members that were elected to the Senate that have pulled over some of the attributes of the House, which are not um, not positive for the Senate. The Senate is a great institution. It's a great place. There's not a better place to serve in the country. And, um, 
and Bob Dolan, in my opinion, is kind of the embodiment of, of, of the real great traditions of the Senate. Um, his legacy might be to help restore that to some extent. Some of us are trying to say, hey, you guys need to kind of, you know, we're already, here it's March, you're in a three-fourths before the next election, and, and, and the environment is so partisan, you know, they want to do everything they can against Bush or President Bush and his team. I don't, I don't know. It's two parts. They should wait until at least election year before they start some of this stuff. Then you have a significant percentage of the Senate running for president, so usually there's one or two running. This time we have several, and, and that complicates that as well. Let me take you back to 96 again. You mentioned it several times. Um, you were considered for the vice presidency. Um, how, how, talk about that for a moment. Well, Bob called me uh, one night and said, hey, are you uh, interested in being uh, my running mate? And it happened to be a night that I was with my wife, Linda, and we were at a motion picture association uh, screening of a film uh, that uh, his film it was, but anyway, so I get the phone call. Him, Bob Dole wants to talk. So I step out, and he asked me that, and um, I told him I'd be very interested in trying to help him in what I could, and, and went back and whispered to my wife and said, "Well, I think Bob Dole just asked me to be his vice president." I'm not sure if he said, do you just want to be considered? Do you want to be in the pot or do you want to do it? Because he kind of, hey, do you want to be, the question was, do you want to be my running mate? Now, he's from Kansas, I'm from Oklahoma. They're somewhat next to each other. My hometown's about 20 miles from Kansas, so thinking geographically, we're probably not the best combination, but we, anyway, but I was flattered to say the least, so I'm whispering this to my wife and we're, watching the rest of this movie. I said, oh my gosh. And the next day or two, he had an office down not too far from the Capitol uh, on uh, North Capitol Street. And anyway, they sneaked me into their headquarters because they trying not to get a whole lot of notoriety. So I ducked down in a station wagon or, or a van. So the press, and there's lots of press outside their campaign headquarters. Um, go in and, and talk to him about it and, and uh, he was seriously thinking of myself and I think Connie Mack and ultimately Jack Kemp. I'm not sure Kemp was on the radar screen at that time. Scott Reed who was his campaign manager used to work for, for Jack Kemp and, and I think kind of pulled him up a little bit later but at that particular time I think they were looking at my and maybe somebody else I'm not sure when Connie came, Connie came into it maybe shortly after I did, but anyway, they, he, they were looking at two or three, and and, uh, and Jack Kemp was the ultimate uh, nom nominee or, or selection he selected for, for, and this is right before the San Diego Convention in 96, and, and uh, exciting time. Also at that time, Bob Dole, or at least in March or April or so, and he had a lead over President Clinton in the polls, and uh, something happened. Uh, he had a lead. Maybe, maybe it was even before then. Maybe it was like 95 he had a lead. I'm not sure when when that dissipated. But I think the turning point for Bill Clinton was the Oklahoma City bombing in April of 95. Because he was really on 
President Clinton was in kind of a, his poll numbers were collapsing, Republicans took control, dun, 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 dun. Uh, he had a health care bill, he had a tax bill that raised taxes and, and didn't, deficits were still really big, he tried to spend a whole bunch of money on that and on health care, health care bill went down, um, he lost control of Congress, all this kind of stuff happened and his numbers were really kind of in the, in the tailspin. And after the Oklahoma City bombing, he turned that around, and, uh, and that was in April of '95. Uh, I think prior to that, or shortly before that, or something, Bob Dole actually had a lead over, over President Clinton. Um, Bill Clinton's a great campaigner, and uh, uh, campaigned 24 hours a day for lots of years. Uh, and Bob Dole got into it. I think he realized, hey, I can't run the Senate and run the campaign. So he uh, uh, announced, you know, he was stepping down from the Senate. That was monumental. I, I hate to see him leave the Senate because he's such a great institution, part of the institution. We passed term limits on elected members of leadership, thinking this would be good. We should have a turnover. And I was in leadership. We, we limited all the... the uh, positions to six years, except for leader. And Bob Dole was leader, and he was leader for more than six years, and said, we're not going to put term limit on him. He can stay there as long as he wants. Quite a compliment to him. That's still the rules today. Um, but then when he announced he was going to retire, I'll never forget it. I made a very, uh, I think it's a very good speech, uh, complimenting him on his, his kind of the last speech. As on his last day in service in the Senate, I remember it was a very, we had the entire body packed, and um, uh, and it was emotional time for Bob because he loved the Senate. He had a hard time controlling his emotion both at the press conference when he announced that he was stepping down, which was done at, over in the Hart Building, the biggest room we have there. I, I remember that, and then I remember a couple of days later being on the floor making this speech, complimenting him. We dedicated the balcony outside uh, his leader office, the Dole balcony, which is a very special place in the Capitol, which probably he's about the only person that ever, ever has used it, but you can actually sit out there. And he likes to get a little sun. And you notice he's usually kind of tan. He likes to have a little sun on his face. He always looks young. He always looks vibrant. He uh, carries himself very well. So we named that. I think we did that that day. We passed a resolution. So that, that, that balcony between the floor of the for the Senate and uh, at that time the leader's office which is down the hall there's a little balcony there now it's permanently called the Dole Balcony. Faces down the mall or to one of the sides? It faces, it faces out looking over the uh, mall. Looks over the Washington Monument and Lincoln Monument. It's a very special place. And if you're, I like to jog. So if you jog up the steps you can see there's, there's, there's the Dole Balcony. Uh, You've got Senator Dole out on the balcony, but I've still got you in a, hiding in a, in a van going to the headquarters. <laughs> that was interesting. That so was what happened when, when you got there? No, it, it was a, said, do you really want to do this? And was, it, it, if I can help you in this race, I'd be happy to do it. And um, it wasn't something I was aspiring to be. I mean, I was very, I'd say, happy in the Senate. I enjoyed what I love the Senate. And I probably... See, I was elected in 80, so at that point I had like 16 years in the Senate. 
so I was in my third term. Um, but I think, you know, I respected him enough, and I, I think I could have helped him. I would have been, but, but in, you know, I'm flattered to be considered, I guess, in that sort of thing. So you had that discussion about it, said you were interested, and then you left, and then how were you informed that you were, or did you just hear that on the air, airwaves? Oh, no. Um, uh, well, it was open discussion, I mean, amongst, you know, it's kind of like any presidential race or who they're going to pick. You might remember uh, President Bush won, uh, selected Dan Quayle. Dan and I were elected at the same time, same age, and so on. Um, but he kind of surprised her. They waited till right the last minute in the, at the New Orleans convention. And uh, matter of fact, I talked to Dan like a day or two before that, and we were planning some activities, golf and dinner party or something. And uh, uh, he said, I'm not sure. And he said, you know, this VP thing may happen, so I'm, maybe I better not schedule. <laughs> Uh, a couple of these things. I said, well, you're right, because even if you don't get it, you want to have a press conference and say, hey, whoever you picked is really good, and I'm all for him, part of the team, and so on. And then President Bush did select Dan Quayle, but he had very little notification. He didn't have time to think about it. And and you need some time to think about it. You need time to be able to think about how do you answer the question, are you ready to be President of the United States? Because if you're VP, you're just a heartbeat away, so you have to be ready to be President. And you have to be able to answer a lot of questions like that. And uh, that's kind of, oh my gosh, I mean, it's not just being VP because, hey, Al Gore is VP, or, you know, you see a lot of other people, oh, surely I could do as good a job as this person or that person, but the job is not just being VP, you have to be ready to step in. And uh, so it's kind of a, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a big challenge. Bob Dole, as you know, was, was uh, Jerry Ford's. Vice presidential running mate. And he did that when he was I mean, chairman of the party, and he did that after Watergate. And and he was a tenacious campaigner. Some people call him mean. He wasn't mean, but he, he that, that was a tough environment. We think today's environment stuff. That was a tougher environment, in all likelihood. Um, and he he was a you know he was again he was a tireless campaigner and so on. I was a businessman in Oklahoma, but I was impressed with with, uh, with Jerry Ford and Bob Doe and uh, very uh, interesting time, I'd say it was. So how, how, did, how were you informed that you were not selected? I'm not sure I remember that. In 96, that's 10 years ago. Um, I don't really remember. And what were your feelings? Uh, I can't say I was all that disappointed. I thought, oh, it, Jack Kemp was a bigger name than I was because he had run for president. Uh, you develop your name ID by running for president. And he had run for president. I can't remember what year. Uh, and, uh, uh, and he was a good speaker and, and dynamic pro football player and so on. So. I, you know, he had a bigger national name, and he wasn't from Oklahoma, which had six electoral votes and or eight, eight electoral votes. And Bob Dole would carry Oklahoma whether I'm on that ticket or not. New York's another matter, you know. So I mean, there's a lot of things that go into the equation, and, and 
most people would say it doesn't make any sense to go from Kansas and Oklahoma. Uh, that's kind of a negative. Geographically, you look for balance. And you also look for balance sometimes philosophically, and Bob Bell and I were very close philosophically. Uh, you know, sometimes if you have a somewhat moderate candidate that, that maybe offends some group, you try and get somebody to kind of balance that so that the other group's not too upset, you know, those kind of things. And, and we were pretty close philosoph philosophically, and we would have been very compatible. We would have worked very well together. I think done a lot of good. I think I would have been uh, very tenacious going after Bill Clinton and, and some of the vulnerabilities there that, that uh, didn't really happen. But, you know, that, that I, I, and I, but I thought Jack Kemp was a good choice, too. Nothing against. I, I, I don't. I'm not being critical of Jack Kemp, but I, I don't think he was aggressive enough against the Clinton administration. I, I, I know he wanted to run a positive campaign. I always thought it was Bob Dole's job to run a positive campaign. The VP should go after kind of like he did when he had Jerry Ford's campaign. He'd have to be a little more aggressive and expose some of the vulnerabilities uh, uh, of the previous administration. And I thought there was a lot of vulnerabilities to expose, but you know, that's that's history. But no, I wasn't. A, my wife had no ambition to be. She really didn't want that much attention. Understandable. And, uh, you really do lose a lot of your. You lose a little of your um, privacy being in the Senate. You know, when you're vice president, you lose it all. And, and if you're president, you absolutely lose it all. People know where you are every minute of every day. Everybody knows where you go to the store. You know, your wife can't go to the store. You know, all those kind of things. And we had kids. At that time, we had a bunch of kids still with us in the house. And I'm not sure they really wanted to have that elevated status of being uh, VP. You left the Senate long before many people probably expected you to, and, and so forth. Uh, do you have any regrets? over the years that you served there, things that didn't go your way or that you didn't pursue? Or? I had a great run. In 24 years, and I came in as a conservative, free enterprise Republican, and I'm still in. Got a lot of stuff done in the tax policy. Got on the Finance Committee. It took me a long time to get on it, but we did a lot of stuff. I had my fingerprints on some of these tax bills that I'm very proud of. Some of them were kind of small compared to the... Uh, the big one. In 81, I should mention this, Bob Bill was chairman of the Finance Committee. I wanted, I learned the hard way. My, my dad died in 19, uh, when I was young, 1961. And we had a small business in Oklahoma and we had the big estate death tax bill. And we fought the IRS for seven years. We eventually settled and they got a bunch of money. And, but we just had a small machine shop in Park City, Oklahoma. I just thought this is really wrong. In the 1981 tax bill, I wanted to eliminate the uh, death tax on surviving spouses because I learned the hard way about this. And this big tax bill going through. So I started lobbying. I lobbied Bob Bill and I lobbied uh, Secretary Reagan. And we got that in the 81 tax bill. And that greatly whet my appetite to be a legislator, not just not just somebody who makes speeches and, and 
and I did it through working. I wasn't on the finance committee, but I helped convince some people. This is one of the reasons why I'm here. I was elected on that and elected against Windfall Provostat. I campaigned on those two things. You know, I learned the hard way on the death tax because of my dad's death. And Windfall Provostat is another issue, but that was a bad policy that came from the Carter administration, and, and I wanted to repeal it. We eventually did. It took me eight years to do it, but we did it. But anyway, how did you do that? You know, I talked to members on the finance committee, and there was a great big tax bill, and the bigger part of it was moving the maximum rate from 70 to 50 percent. That's what everybody focused on. That little piece on death tax is permanent law. So if you pass away, your surviving spouse pays no federal inheritance tax. It's a great bill. I had my fingerprints on it, even though, you know, I, I, the bill was all one great benefit. Oh, you don't just pass you one bill that you introduce, you tack it on to a bigger vehicle. I mean, you got it done. Got it done by the craftsman, Bob Bill, was chairman of the finance committee. Yeah, I think maybe that's a good idea. And of course, he had farmers and ranchers and stuff. This thing made sense. Did make sense. Became permanent law. Very good. Well, that's big. That is really a big deal. You realize that that affects every single estate in America. And uh, uh, wonderful thing. And it was just a little, not a hidden, uh, a small piece of a big tax bill that passed in, in uh, 1981. And uh, it wet my appetite as a legislator. said, hey, we can really do some things here. And uh, like I say, I, and I always said back in the 80s and 90s, I think Bob Dole was the most effective legislator uh, serving in, in the Congress, Democrat or Republican, House or Senate. Because uh, we've got real things done. And, and people, to this day, don't recognize it or appreciate it the magnitude of some of the things that happened. Free trade agreements, while Reagan was espousing, we got them through the Senate. That 81 and then the 82 tax bill uh, both involved a certain amount of duking it out with the White House, didn't it? Because oh, yeah. And, and where was Dole on that and how skillful and so forth? Very skillful. He was able to, to uh, well, you had a lot of serious negotiations with the White House because they had, Ronald Reagan was, was a great Philosophically, yes, I want lower taxes, and, and kind of left the details to the Congress and, and the Treasury Department. The Treasury Department at that time was headed up by Don Regan, who was Merrill Lynch, uh, financier. And and, uh, uh, and then we had, actually, if you go, we had the 81 tax bill, I had the 83 tax bill, I had the 86 tax bill. Maybe, and there was another one in there, too. Uh, another one or two, smaller ones. And some of them were raising more taxes, closing loopholes. There was such a monumental shift, you had to do fixes and transitions, it was really complicated. Still remarkable. I mean, still absolutely remarkable. Somebody said, oh, two or three of those had some taxes. But the net result of it was we got everybody's tax rates down significantly. We closed a whole lot of loopholes. You had a whole lot of people mad because some people were paying very little taxes because they had enormous deductions. You had some provisions where people would invest $1,000, get a $3,000 write-off reduce their taxes. You know, so they're making investments strictly for tax purposes, not for economic purposes. We're trying to make the tax code basically fair, flat, or simpler. And we went a long ways towards doing that. Made some people upset in the, in the process. So there's a lot of duking out. A lot of a Democrat-Republican, a lot of a House and Senate, a lot of it uh, Senate and White House. Uh, that was a great time. And it took an effective legislator to make that happen. It's just 
easy to stop things. It's hard to pass things. And we got things passed. Um, and a lot of it because Bob Bill was either chairman of the finance committee or he was, uh, he was the leader in the Senate. And, uh, you know, if you look at welfare reform that Bill Clinton signed, he didn't want to sign. We passed it three times. Um, that was in large part, I give Newt and the House guys a lot of credit for that. They may have been the driving force, but to get that through in the Senate, we had Pat Moynihan, Ted Kennedy, and others that were wanting to filibuster it. Um, you know, as they wanted, and they were very opposed to it, whether they, I can't remember if they, they really filibustering, but they sure threatened it. I believe they threatened it. Anyway, it was not easy to pass. We passed it three times before President Clinton signed it. And now welfare rose all across the country at least half of what they were before. We took out this guaranteed government payment if you don't work. And uh, put some limits on it and stuff. So uh, that was pretty significant. Uh, the tax policy, the trade agreements. Right now you see how difficult it is for Congress passing any trade agreements. We got a bunch of trade agreements there. Guess what? That would really help Central America, South America. It really helps Europe. It really helps the Middle East. Everywhere we have trade agreements, you see their economies going like this. And, and it's beneficial for us, too. That happened in large part because there's a man from Russell, Kansas, that knows we grow a lot more wheat in, in the United States than we can consume, so we got to sell it. So we need trade agreements, and we're not going to sell that wheat. <laughs> and, uh, uh, no, I'm serious. So the ag block was always a big constituency to be able to sell uh, trade agreements because we're so darn productive in agriculture. And Bob uh, was always kind of looking out for farmers, but farmers need markets. And if you don't have trade agreements to get stuff out, you're going to suffocate in your, your overabundance here. And uh, we understood that. Maybe we should end. I'd like you to uh, just touch on your time when you were the chairman of the Republican Senatorial Committee, which you described at one point as pretty tough. Yeah. And then uh, the years you were chairman of the Republican Policy Committee. What what those entailed and what it was like for you? Well, in relation to Bob Bill, you know, I was chairman of the campaign committee back in '90, and um, uh, that was a challenge. We actually were, boy, we had great candidates. We had the best recruiting year maybe ever. We raised more money. We lots of things right. That was the year that President Bush won, negotiated. The Democrats were in control of both House and Senate. And like in September of 90, uh, agreed to raise the maximum tax rate from 28 to 31%. And it probably killed his reelection. And it certainly killed the candidates that we had running in 1990. Uh, it really hurt us. Uh, remember that, read my lips, no more taxes. And then when, when he signed a tax bill that had the rate increase, it killed us. And uh, so that hurt us. And uh, But av I was campaign chairman for those two years. We did have a bunch of good candidates. We did run good races. We lost one race that year, one seat that year uh, in Minnesota, Rudy Bosch was. And then... After that, I was elected chairman of the policy committee. Interesting, I ran for campaign chairman against uh, John McCain. And uh, uh, in 1990, I ran for policy chairman. And, and it was a close vote. I, I can't remember if it was one vote or if it was a close vote. And John McCain's a very good friend. And uh, 
then I ran in, in 90 uh, for policy chairman. And uh, I ran against Pete Domenici, and it was a close vote. Um, and the chairman of the policy committee, Bob Doe, in the, oh, I guess it was the 92 convention. Anyway, he asked me to be chairman of, uh, uh, of the platform committee, which in that dubious responsibility usually falls to alternate between House and Senate. Anyway, I was chairman of the platform committee in 92. That convention was in Houston. And uh, uh, so anyway, we had some hearings around the country, developed a platform, a very f good platform, I might add, very free enterprise and pro-family type platform that uh, we put together and uh, presented it before the convention. And I'm, I'm making my speech before, and, and, oh, and the opponents are always wanting to have a big bloodbath, you know, when they get into the policy fights. Oh, yeah, well, the pro-lifers will be happy or the pro-choicers won't, and somebody's want to have a fight. That was kind of the big deal back then. And we came up, I thought, with a good positive platform. And, and uh, so I'm presenting it to the convention, and, my, and, you know, they have everything scripted out, and they want you to presenting this time, big time, you know. And uh, so it's scripted. I've never made speeches following a script. i always in the habit of winging them. But okay, this one's printed out. Yeah, and it's it's approved by the campaign people. Yeah. Anyway, so I start making the teleprompter. doesn't work. I get to wing the speech, and, and uh, nobody notices anyway. So nobody ever knew. So it worked out fine. But Bob asked me to do that. He asked me to do a lot of things in, in my career. And... Uh, um, the ones I liked the most were sitting on the finance committee for me, and you know, as a as a young member. But going with him to uh, trips to like the trip I mentioned to Italy, and the trip to uh, Kuwait and Iraq, and and the trip to uh, Yugoslavia, and and we went other places too. It just had enormous respect for why I always call him the leader. I still do. I still call him the leader, you know, and uh, he's just a great leader. And, and he, his service to the country is has been remarkable, and his contribution to the Senate uh, enormous. Right there. Okay. Thanks, Thanks very much. much. You bet.